Welcome to The Crumb, a podcast by Bake From Scratch. I'm your host, Brian Hart Hoffman, and I'm here to talk all about baking. The people, the culture, and the baked goods that make us run to preheat our ovens. Today's episode is special because I have two guests joining me. We are going to kick things off with Lisa Steele, the personality behind Fresh Eggs Daily and the cookbook author of The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. She's a fifth-generation chicken farmer from Maine and rightfully called an expert. We are going to talk about her farm, eggs, and of course, the cookbook. After that, Laura Crandall joins us to talk about all things meringue, keeping that egg subject top of mind for today's episode. You know Laura from episodes of our Monday Night Baking School with William Sonoma and Bake from Scratch, and she's also our test kitchen director here at Hoffman Media. Before we jump into today's episode, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. When I traveled to Sweden back in February, I loved seeing Ankrisham stand mixers in the home kitchens of the bakers I met. Their sleek design, easy to use, powerful motors make them great for making heavy doughs with perfect outcomes. Thank you, Ankrisham. Without you, we wouldn't have the crumb. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Lisa. I am so excited to have you on The Crumb. Hey, Brian. I'm super excited to chat with you. This is going to be so much fun. I know. We had originally planned a few months ago to do this in person, so that just means we're going to have to plan for an in-person conversation on the podcast, maybe even with a video component sometime in the future. But for today, I'm going to chat with you from hot, humid, sticky, rainy Birmingham, Alabama. And you've got to tell me what it's like in Maine right now. Please just say something like 60 degrees and a cool breeze. I mean, I need it. It's a beautiful summer day in Maine. It's like low 70s with a breeze. Mm. Beautiful, some clouds in the sky. We finally got our summer after all that hot, humid, southern weather that we were getting. <laughs> I need to send this up to you and then <laughs> capture a little bit of that. Just tell me, are no, the okay. main blueberries amazing this year? What's the blueberry crop like? They are. You know, it rained almost all of June and then we got hot and humid. And I guess that's what blueberries like because we have both wild, you know, we have a patch of wild blueberries on our property. We also have some cultivated bushes and both of them just did amazing. I just kind of picked the last of them. I think they're done now, but it was a great blueberry season. Mm, I love it. Nothing better than baking with Maine blueberries. Okay. So Mm -hmm. before we talk about baking, let's back all the way up and give the listeners the 411 on you, Fresh Eggs Daily, your cookbook, your farming life, your TV show. We're going to talk about all of it. But let's start in the very beginning. You run a farm in Maine. So tell us about it. We just talked about the blueberries, but set the scene. Let (laughs) us know what it's like with your life on the farm. (laughs) Okay, we moved to Maine about eight years ago. We had a small farm in Virginia, six acres. Um, My husband was in the Navy. And then when he retired, we knew we wanted to move back to New England because we both grew up here and just love it. The seasons, the blueberries, the lobster, the whole deal. So we we moved to a a farm. quite a bit more acreage, but it's a lot of woods and bears and coyotes and porcupines and things like that. Um, so we have maybe about 10 acres that's, you know, fields or yard, whatever. We have chickens, ducks, geese. We have a little barn. We have a tractor. So I guess technically we were a farm. I plant garlic. <laughs> I'm not the greatest gardener. I really, you know, I love the planning part of it and the buying the seeds and all the pretty packets and everything. 
And then once I get them planted, I sort of lose interest. I don't like the maintenance, you know, the, the weeding and the, the bugs and stuff. <laughs> so I pretty much just stick to garlic because that's really easy to grow. I mean, you know, this is appealing to my condo living heart because I'm the same way. I knew I, I don't have a green thumb at all. Friends of mine have to come by and help like babysit the orchids and stuff that I try to keep alive inside. But I agree that whole maintenance thing. And yeah, not for me, but I'm glad there's people that do it. So we have delicious herbs and things to, to cook and bake with. <laughs> oh, I do. No, I do herbs. I, ha- I should take, well, okay. First of all, I should back up. I am actually a main master gardener. So like, how sad is that? <laughs> that I can't even keep a garden going. Um, but I do have an herb garden. Like I have a kitchen garden off of, you know, the kitchen door, a little planter thing with herbs in it. Cause you need herbs for, for baking yeah, and cooking do. and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> you do you need your fresh herbs, but that's not really gardening to me. Cause you know, that's different. It's not. Like it just comes ground, naturally ground. to you because you're actually a fifth generation farmer. So I have got to hear, like, did you know you wanted to continue the family tradition? You've obviously got this green thumb and this natural knack for for that farm life. So how did you know this was going to be your path also? Yeah, so not really at all. So I grew up across the street from my grandparents' chicken farm in Massachusetts. They legit. They came over from Finland. You know, they didn't speak the language. They had no real education, but they knew how to raise chickens and, you know, have a farm. So they did that. And they had a huge two-story chicken barn and the whole deal. And then when my parents got married, they moved across the street and we had a small flock of chickens and I did the 4-H thing and all that. Um, My great-grandparents also had chickens. We could trace them back five generations, you know, back to Finland, which is kind of cool. But um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I didn't like it. I, I wanted, I knew there was a bigger world out there. So I went to college in Rhode Island. I went to work on Wall Street and, you know, I was going to movie premieres and I was wearing my little black dress and I was, you know, it it was the eighties. It was Wall Street. It was amazing. You know, so different from what I grew up with. And, um, you know, long story short, I met my husband, he was in the Navy. So we did bounce around a little bit and we found ourselves on this little farm in Virginia and, 2009, everybody was kind of, you know, getting into the the chickens and the homesteading and all that. And we got some chickens. And I mean, obviously, I quit Wall Street because you can't work on Wall Street when you <laughs> live in Virginia. But um, <laughs> but, you know, I kind of like felt like it was full circle. You know, the property was very much like how I had grown up and here more so, you know, that we have pine trees and pine cones and, you know, we can go out in the woods. And it's it just it felt like coming home. And I realized that you can't really your destiny. Right. You know, this is where I belong. But it, my business background has been invaluable. You know, I have a degree in accounting. So, you know, that's when, been great for running a business. When you say that, I was even just going to say this before you mentioned that you, you know, have a degree in accounting. My mom started our business in this creative space, but she also had the accounting degree in this business background that I look at you and I look at my mom and this legacy of kind of you know, business world experience meets creative and passion brands that you've started. And that, I, I love it. I think it's, you never probably would have imagined in the the black dress of the 80s on Wall Street that you were going to return to that. But like you said, sometimes it just draws you right back in. Yeah, I, I belong here. I, I don't think I could have avoided it. It was, it's in my blood. And <laughs> I absolutely love what I do. I love the creative parts. And I also have a, a product line and I don't, you know, just like, blog about chickens. You know, I have kind of built it into more than that. And I love the creative aspect of it and that every day is different. And that now I've moved kind of into the food world, which is a whole new challenge. You know, I, I need to be challenged. I get bored very easily. 
Well, I mean, isn't that the entrepreneur spirit? I love it. It's yeah. we're always just a little <laughs> agitated, but in a good way, because there's something else we've got to, to start working on. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So back to the eggs for a second. Just tell us on a, on a big day, how many eggs do you collect? Oh, I mean, we, we have actually kind of a small flock now. We did bring some chickens and ducks with us when we moved uh, from Virginia, and some of them are still with us. So they're like nine and 10 years old. But I think we have 14 chickens and nine ducks and two geese. So we might collect like a dozen eggs a day. I mean, wow. it's, it's a lot. Like I have a dedicated egg refrigerator. <laughs> I want a photo <laughs> of this so we can put it on our social media. We've got to see Lisa's <laughs> egg refrigerator. <laughs> I can send that along. Yeah, that was that was this year. I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to splurge. I'm just going to get a separate fridge for the eggs because they just there's no room for food when we have all these eggs. And so. and what do you do with them? So you collect the eggs. Do you sell them locally? Do you use them? I mean, you've got eggs, herbs, produce, all sorts of things on your farm. What what happens mm -hmm. with everything that you're that you're collecting? Well, believe it or not, it's really hard to sell. I mean, it's not hard to sell eggs. It's hard to sell eggs for any kind of decent price. You know, you're not right. going to ever make back your, especially now with the cost of everything so high. Um, and everyone around here raises chickens. You know, every other house has a flock. So we give a lot away, you know, to our UPS driver, to the mail lady, to friends who come. Um, we eat a lot. I bake a lot, obviously. I feed them back to the chickens. Our dog eats them. I throw them in the compost pile sometimes because we have so many. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's like feast or famine. You know, when we're getting too many, you just can't eat them. But they, they last a long time. The reason for the egg fridge, because eggs will last months and months and months in the fridge. You right. know, so I can stockpile them to use through the winter when the chickens aren't laying as well. And when you're ready to make curd or meringue, you're going to need all those eggs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay, so because we're a baking podcast, you know that we're going to shift this conversation from having this farm and the eggs and all the things to to baking. But we also get to mm -hmm. talk about your debut cookbook. Um, before yeah. we do that, we're going to take a moment to say thank you to our sponsors. But when we get back, Lisa, be ready to talk with us about what got you started in baking. And then we're going to, of course, talk about the cookbook. But we'll be right back. Want to know something sweet? Well, sugar is a key ingredient in most of the recipes that we create here at Bake From Scratch. And we are proud to exclusively stock CNH sugar in our pantry. And we think you should too. All right, Lisa, let's get into the baking part of this conversation. How did you get into it? Was it the egg first? Or I guess that's maybe a bad <laughs> joke on chicken or the egg. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it was my mom, like so many people. Um, I was fortunate my mom was a stay-at-home mom, which I guess back then, you know, was more common. But she loved to bake. And I was right there alongside of her you know, rolling out dough and making cookies. And, you know, I just got hit with the, with the baking bug, I guess. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for her because she taught me that not only, you know, baking and cooking, but you know, how to sew on a button, how to, I mean, I can make a dress if I really had to, like she, she taught me kind of like all the skills and, and I'm really grateful to her for that, that she took the time and just really loved it. And it continues. I love, again, your this learning from your family and now the passion that you have. And memories always drive, I think, the the motivation and creativity forward. So thinking about those things mm -hmm. you did with your mom. Um, as you started working on the cookbook, you know, so, so let's just set up the cookbook for everyone. Tell us, you know, about your cookbook. It's not just a baking cookbook. I do want to make sure we, we talk about everything Correct. that you 
focused on. So so let's start there and then we'll we'll take it where it goes into the to the baking world. But let's hear about the cookbook first. Yeah. So quickly, I had written uh, six books on raising chickens and it was kind of just before COVID. I was talking with my publisher about the next book and I kind of a light bulb went off and I said, you know, it's not the chickens I'm really passionate about. It's really the eggs. And it has been all along. And I want to write a cookbook. It had been in the back of my mind. And I, I ended up going with a different publisher just for a lot of reasons. But I basically spent COVID writing this cookbook and it was sort of you know, it was a dream come true. I mean, I, I don't even have a food blog. I'm not a food blogger. You know, I, I shared recipes yeah. over the years here and there, but it wasn't really my main focus. And I know that I was incredibly fortunate that Harper Collins, my, my, my publisher and my editor heard the idea and just really loved it and saw my vision and understood that eggs are so versatile and can be used in so many ways and really hadn't been covered comprehensively in a cookbook, right. at least for a while. Um, and I mean, yeah, eggs are, they're, they're just like my passion. I, I love all the geeky facts about them and this, this, the things that they do. And a, a yolk is almost a different food than a white is. And the whole egg together is different than the parts. And there's just so much you can do with them and how you treat them, you know, depends on how they react in a recipe. I just find it all fascinating. So give me a, like, tell me about one recipe that maybe is your favorite or one that you shocked yourself with the results as you were creating the content. And again, keeping eggs as the focus, how did you go about dividing the chapters? What kind of content, you know, it's not just scrambled eggs in the book. It's delicious, amazing, <laughs> yeah. creative cuisine. And I I love the book and I want you to, you know, tell us the favorite thing or maybe the one thing you surprised yourself with as you were in the process of writing it. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I knew that it wanted it had to be both sweet and savory because eggs are used in both. And I didn't, I did not want to go the breakfast, lunch, dinner route. Right. And I, I pushed back and I did eventually lose that um that battle. You know, when, when you write a cookbook, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> um that one I lost, but I didn't want to pigeonhole, you know, an omelet is not a breakfast food. You can have an omelet with dinner, with Absolutely. a salad. Yeah. You know, you we have breakfast for dinner all the time. So I didn't want to do that, but there was really no other way to organize. Um but I did, you know, sweet and savory for breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, cocktails, desserts. Um, baking really is my thing. I, I, you know, I'm such a traditionalist and most many of the recipes in the book, some are family recipes that, you know, I had made with my mom or my sure. grandmother. A lot are the classics, the lemon meringue pies, the pound cake, the meringues, you know, uh, creme brulee, which is like a personal favorite yeah. of mine. But I think a lot of those recipes, not that they're being lost, but I don't know that they appeared all in one place for people. You know, the real right. traditional classics that they're classics for a reason, because they're delicious, because they make sense. You know, um, I think creme brulee is, is probably my favorite just because it's so simple, so delicious. I don't make it nearly enough. And you probably have the ingredients in your refrigerator right now. Well, and that I I was going to say one thing I love about the recipes, in addition to showcasing that eggy side of things, is they're so approachable and the ingredients are things that bakers have in the in the mm -hmm. staple like baker's pantry at home or ingredients that most people keep on hand. Um, and then, of course, showcasing the diverse and beautiful ways to use eggs. So you have chickens, ducks and geese on your farm. What kind of eggs do you use in cooking and baking or, or you know, anything, again, like, tell us the, the reasons we should start looking for different eggs to bake with instead of chicken eggs. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, we do have the ducks. Bakers tend to like duck eggs. They are higher in fat. They're larger. So um, the ratio is three chicken eggs is equal to two duck eggs. You know, so you need to kind of adjust your recipes, but you can substitute in duck eggs for any baking recipe. Your your things are going to rise higher. They're going to taste richer. There's, there's just more fat and there's more, you know, they're kind of eggier. Um, one thing I did learn from your baking retreats, I, I've been baking my whole life. I had never weighed things after that first retreat, I bought a scale, like immediately when I got back home, I bought a scale and I now weigh things when I bake. And it's interesting because I weigh my eggs too, which I never, you know, I kind of just randomly grab two eggs out of the fridge and, you know, if it calls sure. for two eggs. And it's interesting, especially when you raise your own chickens, the, each chicken kind of lays a different size egg, you know? So the results are very not scientific when you're not weighing your ingredients. But yeah, duck eggs for bakers are amazing. You can also scramble them. You can make omelets, frittatas. But I do tend to use the the duck eggs when I'm baking because of that extra rise and fat and lift that you get. So if we're using duck eggs and you said the, you know, two duck eggs is three chicken eggs and that's the kind of loose equivalent. But when because I'm also sitting here smiling that you've started using a scale and after we had baking <laughs> retreats together, um, that was I'm, I'm like a proud, proud baker over here with a smile on my face. So would you then just weigh the duck eggs to the same weight that we call for in chicken eggs in the baking recipes? Is, is that what a home baker should do to get the exact conversion? Yeah, like whisk them in a bowl and then and then weigh know, back in. Them out. OK, yeah, and weigh it back in. Yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. I love it. That's a good thing. I want, I'm want. i going to start using some duck eggs because of you. I love it. Yay. Okay, so- <laughs> In the test kitchen. You'll have yeah. recipes and be like, two well, duck eggs. And people will be like, yeah, we don't have ducks. So that's not happening. I think what we'll do <laughs> is- you can convert. When you come back to Birmingham, you can bring some duck eggs with you and we'll do some oh. videos or something. It'd be so fun. That would be super fun. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I, th I think duck eggs, I mean- I don't understand why ducks aren't more popular because just as far as raising them, I find them more enjoyable. They're easier. They're hardier. Um, chickens are always grumpy about something and the ducks are just always <laughs> happy. They just have a better personality. So I'm really an advocate for backyard ducks in general. Um, I also wanted to mention too, before we kind of move on a conversation we had in Birmingham um, that I thought was kind of interesting about how I feel that you're either a baker or a cook. And not many people can be both. I mean, we all do cook and bake, but in your heart, you're one or the other. And I think going back to that accounting thing, and I wonder if it's the same for your mom, baking is very number oriented. It's ratios, it's science, it's exact. And I think that part appeals to me because I hated accounting, but <laughs> I think that because I have that kind of brain baking, like there's a right answer and a wrong answer. You know, and I wonder if your mom was drawn to baking for the same reason, because she had that accounting brain and it was the numbers and the fractions and all that, you know, where cooking is kind of like throw it in, taste it, you know, throw a little more in, taste it. It doesn't really matter. Um, and baking, you don't really know until you're done. You yeah, know? it's so funny you say that because it's so common in the baking world to have architects, accountants, people that have like that very exact brain that love and turn to baking as their culinary like super strength instead of cooking or or vice mm -hmm. versa. And then I'm this weird person in the mix that most areas of my life, I don't have that detailed brain. My twin brother, he's the finance guy. He 
runs the business part of our company and he understands that aspect of of what our mom, you know, she's like this creative powerhouse and the business brain. But I am the the weird like I'm a I'm a baker and it's the one area in my world where there's a lot of control and it calms me in a different way because it's unlike the other aspects. So it's so funny when you say the similarities between it is funny how people either identify as the cook or the baker. I'd love to kind of open it up to the listeners too. I wish we could have like a big group chat right now and find out what other people's daily behaviors or disciplines were that led them to to baking as a passion. You know, it, it's that would be really fascinating. Yeah, to do what to, it's like a know, human like, behavior are, study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and there are going to be people who say I cook and bake. Like, of course, we all do. Yeah. But be honest with yourself. You are better at one or the other, or you feel more comfortable with one or the other. And that would be really a fascinating study, I think. There was a point in my life that I did say things like, I cook, I don't, or I bake, I don't cook. And I used to say that with this very proud mantra because of the, I think it's like you said, the the identity with one or the other. But over the years, mm-hmm. I've pushed myself and I've tried to start loosening those structures in the kitchen and then allowing the cooking to be a little bit more influenced by impulse. And and it's been fun to explore that that part of the world too. But I quickly get myself right back to that discipline and control of baking. And then the smile right. that that happens as a result. Even when I cook, I want to savory bake. Like yeah. my like to me, cooking is savory baking. So like I just I just want to bake. That's like everything. <laughs> all roads lead back to baking. I like it. I hear yes. what you're saying. Yes. We both can agree. <laughs> Um, so also tell everyone about your television show. So not only can you interact with Lisa through her website, her cookbook, her other books that she's published, but you can see her on television. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I, uh, have a show called welcome to my farm that airs on create TV and public television stations across the country. Season one aired last year. Season two will start airing, I believe October 14th or 15th, whatever that Saturday is. Um, so, you know, you can check your local listings, you can watch streaming on Passport and it's, it's been fun. I mean, we have a film crew and they come and it's kind of like a day in the life, but of course it's TV. So it's all fake. You know, there's no poop, there's no whatever, you know, um, there's no laundry involved, whatever, but it's kind of like, you know, come with me. I'm going to go pick strawberries and come home and bake something, or, you know, I'm going to go to a maple sugar shack and I'm going to make something with the maple syrup and, you know, there's chickens in it. And it's just kind of a fun day in the life show that I just really enjoy doing. So I was going to say, I love the variety that you offer in each episode from DIY things for home entertaining, or just even decorating to, the culinary aspect. And then of course, just a day in the life of what it's like on the farm. I think it, it does showcase so well you, your personality and the passion you bring to what you're doing. That's so sweet. And I, I, you know, I want to really showcase Maine too, and show all the different, I think for season two, we did a better job of that showing the different seasons and, you know, the show has evolved a little bit. It was more chicken centric, I would say in season one, but like how much can you talk about chickens? And plus I just love the cooking segments better. So I just want to cook, you know, and, and they're like, no, you have to go out and like, we have to do other things. We do the do other that, things but... and then get yourself right back in the kitchen. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, speaking of getting back in the kitchen, I cannot wait for you to get back to Birmingham or for me to come see you in Maine to continue our time in the kitchen and just being creative and hanging out together. But it's been so amazing to have you on the crumb finally. I know. Thank you. You absolutely have an open invitation to Maine, New England Bacon Retreat. 
Hint, hint. Um, I, I hear yeah, you. I, would, I hear you. <laughs> I would love to come back to Birmingham. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful little city. Uh, and that dinner at Helen was amazing. See? Now, listen, Lisa's even giving all the listeners reasons to come bake with us in Birmingham. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Lisa, we will look forward to the next time. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining us here on The Crumb. Thanks so much, Brian. I am so excited to have Laura Crandall joining us for a fun talk today about meringue. Um, Laura is our test kitchen director here at Hoffman Media, and she has developed so many of the recipes that you know and love from Bake From Scratch, but her culinary influence does not stop with the recipe development. She is a wealth of knowledge, and she coordinates our baking retreats, and she and I teach together, and we have so much fun. And there's also one other thing we both really, 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 really love except for on a hot, humid day here in the South, and that is meringue. So we're going to have a little culinary chat on this one subject. Sometimes it's hard for us food people to keep the rails on, but today's conversation will be attempting to keep it in the guardrails on meringue. But Laura, I'm glad you're back on the crumb. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. You were on a previous episode, but I was not. And so you've been on the podcast, but just not with me. Correct. Well, we're going to change that. I think we're going to do a lot more of this because I think our listeners want to know fundamentals and information and tips and tricks. And we're going to do more of that here on The Crumb. And we're going to have a lot of this baking conversation in the future. But to kick things off, let's talk about meringue. And we know this is the combination of egg whites and sugar at a basic level. But then there's other things you can do with meringue. And before we get into that, let's go to the basics, the differences in the meringues that we call for in certain recipes, like Italian, French, and Swiss. Give us the differences between each of those. Yeah, no problem. I'd love to tell you. So let's start with French because that is pretty much what most people are familiar with. It's also referred to as a common meringue. And essentially all that is, is you're beating your egg whites with sugar. And that's it. There's no heat applied until the baking process, whether it's in the oven um, or in other ways. And, you know, French meringue. So here in the South, we love our banana pudding. And my mom used to make the banana pudding that was like on the box of the Niller, Nilla, Niller, on the, <laughs> on, the, on the Nilla wafers. Here's my Southern accent coming in hot. And that is a basic meringue, which in the recipe, it doesn't say French, right. but it's the egg whites and sugar. Correct. And then it went onto the banana pudding as it came out of the oven hot. So you were getting heat immediately applied to the underside of that meringue. And then it went back in the oven to toast a little and turn brown. Correct. Um, so I see that's the basic. So then let's go into Swiss. I think that's probably what I would argue is the easiest amongst the meringues and one that actually performs really well even on some humid days. So tell us about Swiss meringue. So both Swiss and Italian are cooked meringues. And essentially, there's just cooked differently. Right. So Swiss meringues are going to be over a bain-marie. So you want to be in a heat-proof bowl. And you're going to whisk together your sugar and your egg whites. And you're going to let that cook over just barely steaming water. You're not trying to cook your eggs fully. Um, just until the sugar dissolves. So th really, the easiest way to tell is to actually like just to put a little bit on your hands and feel and see if the sugar has dissolved. And then you move it to the mixer and then you whip it. 
And like I said, I think it's one of the easiest for bakers because we're taking that liquid from the Bain Marie and then we're putting it all in the mixing bowl all at once. And then we get the meringue beautifully billowy, shiny, marshmallow-y in texture. And then there's the Italian meringue, which is cooked, but it requires a little bit of care and caution when you're in the kitchen. Tell us why. So you're actually making a hot syrup. <laughs> so you like know, boiling hot liquids, everyone. Yes. Boiling so, hot. <laughs> and then you have to use that hot liquid and pour it into a mixer, which for me personally, I don't love re- telling readers to do this just because I'm worried because it's so hot if you get it on your hands, if you spill it, it. I mean, it really can hurt you. So I prefer Swiss meringue for that reason just because um, – it is a little bit, I would say, safer. But Italian meringue is actually the most stable because it's heated the most. So you're actually, you're making a simple syrup mixture. So it's got sugar and water, and then you're going to heat it and you're let it cook to 240. And what that does is it makes it like a thick syrup. The hardest part with this piece of it is if you're not careful, you could crystallize your sugar. Just like if you were making caramel, you have to be careful that there's not sugar around the outside rim of your pot, um, that you're not stirring it too much once at, really at all, once it starts to boil. And then you have to, while the mixer is running, slowly pour it in between the bowl and the whisk attachment so that it doesn't, A, splatter on you, splatter all, all over the bowl, and actually gets down into the egg mixture. But it technically is the most stable one. And one thing that, I mean, we've made macarons with Italian meringue. It does provide for a really nice structure. Like, I I will say, I think if you're going to, there are certain recipes that that effort is worth it. But you also need to make sure that you have a saucepan that has a nice pouring edge. I say that because some have a curved lip that help you pour better. Some have a little pour spout, like a sugar pot is a great uh, pot to make the syrup in because you have that pour spout. You do not want this hot sugar mixture running down the side of the saucepan, onto your hands, onto the counter, missing the bowl. I mean, it really does, like, I would say have the right equipment before you attempt something like Italian meringue. Okay, so you've already said that you prefer Swiss. Um, what are your, like, reasons why you prefer Swiss? Is it the most versatile to you? Is it the ease of making it. I mean, why would someone, if they're thinking, okay, all these different meringues, why would I make Swiss? I think I prefer it just because uh, you can walk away if you need to. Like, you don't have to stand there and watch it and make sure that you're not going to mess it up. Like, you put your egg whites over that bain-marie and you just let it sit until the sugar dissolves. It's really hard to mess up. You also are really sure that your sugar is dissolved. So, on these, you know, on a French meringue, or on the Italian, like there's more room for error. So I guess that's why I really lean towards it. You know, I always want to make it as easy as possible for our readers when they're at home doing this. You know, meringue can be intimidating. And so I think it's just the easiest. It's a little bit more full full proof. <laughs> I don't know why that was so hard. Um, and, you know, I just think that it's it's just so easy. And it's just like, it's still stable. It's still cooked and I can eat it right out the bowl. 
I think it also pipes beautifully. I love piping Swiss meringue onto cakes, onto banana puddings, onto so many different things. And the other thing I like about piping a Swiss meringue onto my banana pudding, keeping my subject matter alive from this conversation, is even if the banana pudding itself has cooled completely, you can pipe that on there because the cooked meringue is already food safe. So you're not depending on more heat like we would need from the French meringue to cook our eggs a little bit to get them to a food safe temperature. So you can then, it's a little more flexible. Like I said, you can eat it straight out the bowl. You sure can. (laughs) You sure can. Okay, let's go back to, uh, you're saying the do's and don'ts. And I was referencing humidity here in the South. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandmother as a child saying, today is a day we're not making meringue. And she used to love making these little meringue nests that she would bake in the oven and put fresh fruit in. So why do Southerners or why do people say a certain day is a bad day to make meringue? So humidity definitely plays a big part in the success, even if it's cooked, um, with your meringue turning out. And the reason is, is moisture is just the enemy of meringue. And, you know, this way back in the day, I actually developed the essential for Bake From Scratch um, that we did each of the meringues and cooked, did little cooked kisses and stuff. It was a great, a great story. Uh, I just happened to be developing it during a hurricane <laughs> and I kept getting terrible, terrible results. And like my bake times weren't working, weren't consistent. Uh, it was crystallizing in the bowl while I was trying to like whip it to stiff peak. And I finally realized I was like, you just need to walk away. Hurricane weather is not <laughs> this is not the weather to be trying to make meringue. So really, like if it is a super humid day or it's rainy outside, no matter where you live, you know, the humidity is going to go up in your home and it really just does not work well. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with just humidity. Okay, so take humidity out of it. It's a perfectly dry day. We're in the kitchen. We're making meringue. Can you overbeat meringue? Can you break it? It's actually really hard to break a cooked meringue. Um, they're very, very stable. So those are a little bit more um, friendly. Like it's harder to overbeat those. But French, they all can, like if you left it going, but French is actually the easiest to overbeat. And, you know, it really will look kind of, it, it goes from this super silky smooth to just looking textured and almost um, like air Air it's like pockets, clumpy. like yeah, clumpy. it's like a, like it, yeah. It stops looking cloud-like, and it starts looking like clumps of craggy egg white. Mi- I mean, you can see it change, right? Exactly. Like if you know, even if you put it on a banana pudding and you let it sit too long, it starts getting this weird, weird texture. Like you'll know that you've gone too far. And you know, with meringue, there's not really any way to fix it. You got to start over. Got to start over. So. I've mentioned banana pudding and I've mentioned my grandmother's meringue nest, but what are your favorite ways to use like even just a French meringue? Let's talk about the basic or what are maybe your favorite meringue recipes? I actually love meringue. <laughs> I eat it you know, from the bowl. Like I, we said. Like, I, yeah. So for me, my personal favorite is I just like a really soft centered on a meringue. It could be in a pavlova. It can be, you know, a kiss or like a nest or something like that, where it's just that you got that marshmallowy center, but you've got that crispy outside. And I mean, you really just 
can't beat that for me personally. I just love the texture of it. Um, they are sweet. It's probably the sweetest thing that I really love is a meringue. Um, but I mean, I also love like ma macarons and like, you know, where it's used in recipes, um, you know, but I'd, I, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I love just like a baked meringue with a soft center. I love it also. I'll take what you said even a little bit further. Anytime I visit France, and I go to a gourmet market or something, they sell these bags of like meringue kisses, basically, like you and I were talking about. But they are crunchy all the way through. Yeah. And I'm not really team crunchy. Like, I don't I don't want my cookies crunchy all the way through. I don't want things like, I just, I don't like super crunchy things. But this exception, I can pop a bag of those meringues in my mouth and they're gone in minutes. And I love them. It's my mission on a not humid day here in the South to figure <laughs> out how to make those where they stay crunchy all the way through. And I'm guessing it's just a longer time in a, in a, in a lower temperature oven. So just that longer dehydrating bake period. And I'm not patient though. So I'm going to have to really work on that to get those where I want them to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would do is I just go low and slow until they're like, really firm to the touch. And that's what you can pull them at. I like that super, super soft. So as soon as they can, and here's a little tidbit. As soon as you can pull them off the parchment, they're done. Like or they're if, not sticking. If they don't, if they stick to the parchment, let them keep going. But if they are done, you know, you can pull it away from the parchment really, really easily, and you know that they're ready to come out. So I love it, Laura. These are great tips. One recipe that just jumped into my mind is we did the chocolate chip forgotten cookies which is basically meringue with chocolate chips folded in and you bake them, turn the oven off, go to sleep and leave them in there overnight. And they're forgotten because they're still in the oven. And when you wake up the next day, you have these super delicious meringue cookies. Well, that's actually a great tip too. Pretty much any meringue, if you're going to make it the day before, if you store it in the oven like that, it will help keep the moisture away because your oven's kind of sealed and protected. So, you know, turn obviously you turn off the oven <laughs> while you go to sleep. But if you leave them in there to cool and then you leave them just with the door completely shut until the next day, they'll stay nice and dry and they won't get sticky overnight. It's a great way to keep them protected if we want to make them ahead. I love that tip. Thank you. Laura, we're going to have you back soon for more chat about baking and ingredients, tips and tricks. But I'm so glad you were here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. What an excellent episode this was. Who would have thought there was so much to learn about eggs and chicken farming? Then, having Laura here to give us the rundown on all things meringue was so educational and fun. I can't wait for Laura to be back as we continue our Test Kitchen chats, and you'll have to let us know what you want to hear more from us as we break down ingredients, techniques, and tips and tricks. That's it for today's episode of The Crumb. Preheat your ovens, everybody. It's time to bake. If you liked our podcast, please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about us. And to keep up with my baking endeavors, follow me on Instagram at Brian Hart Hoffman. You can also follow Bake From Scratch at The Bake Feed. And for online recipes and fresh baking content, be sure to visit our website, bakefromscratch.com. We even have a newsletter called Preheat to get you ready for all the baking that lies ahead. Finally, for real-life baking inspiration, grab a copy of the magazine on newsstands or sign up for a subscription and we'll mail the magazine to you with each and every new issue. 